The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. This is P.I.'s Declassified. This is our first show. We're very happy to be here. And today we're discussing a story about hiding in plain sight. And I'd like to introduce you to four people who are with me. Dr. Clem Pellet, who is an oral surgeon from Washington State and who is really the focus of the story, and he's going to tell you his story. Sheila Clopper, a private investigator from San Jose, California. Patricia Shaughnessy, a private investigator from Arizona, and Patrick Cote, another private investigator from Arizona. As you will see this story unfold, it is just an amazing, incredible story, something that never happens. Dr. Clem Pellet was going through the mother, his mother's belongings at, his, at her home and found a box with some newspaper clippings. I think it was a little keepsake box. He'll tell you all about it. In that he found newspaper clippings of the murder of his grandfather. I believe it was in 1951. And the story that unfolds about the man who murdered his grandfather, Frank Dryman, who actually was tried and went to prison, or tried and was going to be hanged, I believe, and went to prison, released, and then vanished. And now I'm going to tell you how that story unfolds through Dr. Dr. Clem, Dr. Clem, are you on the line with me? I am. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Please tell us what happened when you went to your mother's home that day and how that unfolded. Well, um, uh, my wife and I were down in Chandler, Arizona, and uh, my mother had become ill and we had to move her out. And she, uh, we just oh. found a box of you know, the, the usual things, uh, scrapbooks and, and whatever. We put them in a big Tupperware thing and shipped them home to here in Seattle. They sat there for about a month, and uh, literally uh, uh, in uh, mid-April of uh, '09, uh, I was watching a Mariner baseball game, and uh, it's uh, as anyone who follows baseball knows that the Mariners are a tough bunch to be a fan for. They weren't doing very well once again. So I was um, saying, well, I've got nothing else to do. I think I'll start looking through this box. And about an hour into it, I found these uh, newspaper clippings that uh, talked about the murder of my grandfather. You have to remember, this murder occurred uh, about two years before I was born. And the murder split uh, the Pellet, and my last name is Pellet, and the, uh, um, split the Pellet family up 
because my grandmother married uh, a man that uh, my father didn't approve of, and he never spoke to his uh, mother again, and therefore I never had any contact with the pellets when I uh, when I grew up. So, so you I had no idea, Clem, that but, your grandfather had even been murdered. I did know that he had been murdered, but I uh, and my uh, father told me that he had been murdered uh, uh, begging for his life, and he had been murdered by a hitchhiker, so you're never to pick up a hitchhiker. And uh, he said that the uh, murderer had gotten away with it because they could not find a place to uh, hang him, because you were correct. He was sentenced to hang twice and then finally uh, uh, given a life now those are the years of what they called the galloping gallows. Is that correct? Well, that's yeah, exactly. There, and they, uh, there was one gallows um, in uh, the state of Montana. It was in the basement of the uh, Missoula County uh, Jail, and they uh, would ship them around. And they had hung some uh, someone about um, four years, I believe it was, before this murder. And uh, uh, perhaps at this time it might be a good idea just to kind of go uh, uh, digress just a bit and tell about the murder just very briefly. Great. Uh, he, um, uh, let's go back now to uh, April 4th, 1951, 59 years ago. It was a very cold day. Um, uh, a blizzard had come down from uh, Canada. This was in northern Montana, around Shelby. And uh, Mr. Dryman... Um, uh, who was known as Valentine at that time, uh, had been hitchhiking. He was 19 years old. He'd been hitchhiking all day, and he was cold and cold to the bone. And it was along uh, about early evening, almost dusk, and uh, my grandfather was the fourth person to have picked him up. My grandfather drove north for uh, with him uh, for about 20 miles, and uh, because Dryman was trying to get to Canada, he turned and said, well, this is as far as I go. Uh, my grandfather uh, told Dryman, and Dryman pulled a gun on him uh, because he was uh, had a shoulder holster of a 45 uh, underneath his coat, and he said, no, old man, you're not going to go any further. Uh, you're not going to drop me off here. And my grandfather started begging for his life, and he said, no, no. He said, you're going to drive down, and they drove to a remote uh, field. My grandfather got out, went down on his knees and begged for his life. Dryman raised the gun. My grandfather ran for his life. And then and you Dryman, know all of this because this is what Dryman finally confessed to. Correct. correct. This is in the confession and also in testimony, which I later found. And he, um, uh, he, uh, in Dryman's words, he said, I missed him with the first shot, I dropped him with the second, and I ran up to the body and uh, emptied the gun into his back. And then he later wrote in a letter from prison, he said, on that very, very cold day, I could feel the warm gun in my hand. So anyway, it was a brutal murder, uh, but none of that. I just found all this out after doing some research. But uh, 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 again, we, you know, I went on to the internet. Now we're back to me finding the box of things. So and you you found the box. You read the news clippings. Right. Then what was the next thing you did? Well, I went on the internet. That was the next thing. That was the next thing because uh-huh. I didn't know his name. That was the first time I'd read his name. Never did know it, and so I typed in his name and hutched around for a minute, and all of a sudden it came up that he was an abscounder. And I'm going to tell you, Francie, I didn't know what abscounder meant. <laughs> and so I had, to, I had to even look that up. And, uh, and then my wife happened to be walking by the computer, and I said, oh, my God, this guy's a fugitive. 
And so then I just started over that, uh, so that was in April, and over the next uh, six months or so, I um, uh, contacted every newspaper I could think of in the state of Montana and Canada Canada as well, because that's where he was apprehended. Let me back, uh, up, back you up just for a second. Sure. Where did you find that he was an absconder? Was there actually an article on the Internet? No, no, no. It was on the uh, Montana Parole Board website. I see. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's that's how I found it. They didn't have a picture of him, but they had, you know, that he was labeled uh, or you know, labeled as an absconder. Okay. Um, so as I say, over the next um, uh, six to nine months, we contacted newspapers. We went uh, went to the Montana Historic Society, found out trial um, uh, transcripts. Uh, my wife interestingly found that. It was listed in the transcripts that uh, one of Dryman's uh, psychiatrists um, uh, had stripped him naked, put him on a gurney, and at the time there were uh, the theory was that a crazy person would perceive pain differently, so he proceeded to pinprick him all over his body and document his response. But in doing that, he he found he described the tattoos, and so my wife wrote all that down. And that later became a very big part of it, um, but now, um, that's how we found out about that. Okay. And didn't you have a lot of difficulty actually getting your hands on the records? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, see what had happened. Over the summer, over that first nine months or so, I had found out how we got into jail. And then I thought, well, okay, or, or prison. Now let's find out how we got out. And so I contacted the uh, Montana Parole Board. And, gee, that, you know, the first contact with them, oh, my gosh, uh, oh, this is very interesting. Uh, they said, oh, and by the way, you, you, you'll be interested in this. We happen to have the file right on, my, right on the desk. And I said, oh, geez. And I said, well, what's in the file? And they proceeded to give me all the information, personal letters, and things were in the file. I said, great, could you give me copies of this? She says, oh, sure. She said, but maybe I should check with my supervisor. I'll call you back tomorrow. I said, okay, great. And, well, the next day I got a call at the office, and it was a completely different tone. Uh, mm. So, basically, they just said, I can't, we can't get you anything. You can't have, you can have none of the one. So I did, did they give you a reason? Uh, pretty much that you just couldn't have it. No. And, and as I say, uh, you know, when I hung that phone up uh, after that phone call, do you think there was anything in the world I wanted more than that file? I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. So, but I didn't know how to go about it. So later, uh, now we're into the um, uh, into the holiday season, uh, December of '09. We were having dinner with some friends, and uh, 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 their daughter had just graduated from law school and passed the bar in California, and she was working for the public defender's office uh, in the state of uh, or in um, San Jose. Her name was Emily Andrews. Emily Andrews. And Re- Emily Andrews. Okay. And she said, gee, you know, I just started. She said, maybe I can help you with this. And I said, well, great. That would be, that'd be very nice. So we exchanged some emails, um, and, uh, and then she said, well, uh, would you like to get a private investigator involved? And I said, oh, gee, Emily, you know, my whole purpose here was never really to, you know, find anything. I just, uh, just kind of want to get information. But let's see if we even get anything back from the parole board. I don't think we have much to work with. Well, we did get something back about three weeks later. Uh, funny how a lawyer's letterhead works better than, like, certainly a dentist calling them. <laughs> <laughs> now, we didn't say, Dr. Clem, that you're an oral surgeon in yeah. Washington State. Yeah, I'm an oral surgeon. All right. Yeah. 
And uh, so anyway, um, so we got some information, and we passed it along uh, about in January of uh, 2010 uh, uh, to uh, Sheila Clopper. I didn't know her name at the time. And at first we had some information wrong, and then I looked at the documents a little closer and found some uh, transposed numbers and a few things, and all of a sudden, boom, they had something to work with. And... Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, the rest is uh, kind of history. I think the, uh, you know, the private investigators can take it from there. Okay, well, let's turn it over then to Sheila. Sheila, are you with us? I am, Francine, and thanks for having us. Well, why don't you tell your story? Well, I had gotten a phone call one day from uh, a new attorney, Emily Andrews, who had said that uh, one of the attorneys I worked for regularly had referred her to me and uh, to try and find this man named Frank uh, Dryman, who also was known as Frank Valentine. Um, she gave me a Social Security number and a date of birth. And because of my license, I'm subscribed to a number of information brokers, and, uh, and the one that I use the most happens to be a Montana uh, company. Um, and I ran the Social Security number that Emily had given me, and voila, um, came up with uh, Frank Dryman, and uh, it had a post office box in Arizona City. Talk a little bit about, Sheila, about how you go about running it. So you say running a Social Security number. Maybe some of our listeners don't know what that means. Well, in the databases that I subscribe to, again, it's because I have a California license, I'm eligible to to run databases. Uh, the Social Security number has what's called a credit header, and I, uh, in running that, it, you don't get credit reports. You just get the top end of addresses, and and that's what I got when I ran the Social Security number. Uh, I got a credit header that had just a one line entry of. Um, I think it was Frank Dryman and, or Frank Valentine, and it, with this post office box in Arizona City. All right. And, and then what did you do next? Well, so when I got that information back, uh, I could have done a postal forwarding on it, but I'm someone who likes to have teamwork involved. And the first thing I did was uh, anything Arizona, I refer to uh, Patricia Shaughnessy, who's in the Phoenix area, and a longtime friend and excellent PI. And I said, Patty, see what you can find. And then I'll turn it over to Patty. Good morning. Okay, you're going to hear more about this unusual case right after the break. Stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. 
Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm talking with Dr. Clem Paulette, Sheila Clopper, Patrick Cody, and Patricia Shaughnessy regarding Frank Dryman, the man who was hiding in plain sight for over 30 years. Sheila, I believe you were telling your story. Yeah, I, I had uh, bounced it off to Patty, but let me back up just a little bit. Um, I was in error in saying that the P.O. box was the only thing that came up. There was an address. Uh, in Glendale, Arizona, that also showed on the, uh, instead of using, I think, the term credit header, I will use an address history. Uh, Again, we don't get the credit reports. All we do is we get address histories. Okay, can, can you explain how that looks a little bit for our listeners? Because I think sometimes when when we talk, when we as private investigators talk about credit and credit headers, um, it's interpreted as being, meaning that we actually see a credit score or credit report. Yeah, no, I'm saying we do not get that at all. 
all we really get is just an address history with uh, approximate dates, time frames that an individual lived at any particular address. And so in this case, it, I did get an address in Glendale, Arizona, and also the P.O. box in Arizona City. And um, and that's when I had passed it off then to uh, Patty Shaughnessy in Phoenix, was to first check out the Glendale address, and then from there we decided to do the P.O. box. And I'll let her talk about that. Go ahead with that, Patty. Good morning. Good to be on your show, Francie. It's nice to have you, Patty. <laughs> Thank you. Now, people don't know probably that we have, um, we're all in three different states here. Dr. Clem is in Washington State, uh, Patty and Patrick Cote are in uh, Arizona, and Sheila and I are in California. So this is a very interesting process that we're doing for the first time. So go ahead, Patty. Sure. Well, Sheila gave me an interesting assignment. I had the two names. Uh, Frank Dryman, and then an alias that he'd been known to use, Frank, um, Frank Valentine. And she gave me, like she said, the uh, Social Security number and uh, date of birth. So I had quite a bit to work with, but I, I did my usual research through the various public records available uh, to us, as well as obtaining motor vehicle department records and that we are uh, entitled to use uh, under the Federal Drivers Private Protection Act. So I ran both names and dates of birth with the Arizona Motor Vehicle Department, and I received absolutely no no records at all, nor real property, um, anything at all that would connect this man any business to Arizona. And these are all pub- public records. Yeah, Arizona, most, is that it, correct? It, no, I would not say the motor vehicle department is not public. We have a permissible purpose as being licensed private investigators to access motor vehicle departments on someone other than ourselves through the oh. DPPA as adopted me. in Arizona law. Yeah, thank you. The DPPA is the Driver's Privacy Protection Act, correct? Yeah, correct. So and in California, we don't have that access. We yeah. cannot... Uh, right. California uh, private investigators cannot ask Department of uh, Motor Vehicles for anything other than a registered owner. Yes. And, and so that, that would not have worked for us. Yeah, and it's unique. Uh, I know there are other states in that situation, and and some uh, even find it unusual that Arizona can access photo IDs, which ultimately down the road when we did identify the name that this man was going by and for years have been going by, we did actually get his photo ID, which, you know, when Pat Cody speaks, he, he will he will address that. But uh, anyway, I outruled the address in Glendale, Arizona, with through city directories and other, uh, you know, assessor and recorders, which are public records. Nothing came up showing Mr. Dryman or Valentine had ever lived at that Glendale address. Um, and you had other, no other information other than his name. Well, we had the two names. We had a date of birth and a social security number. I and I ran like uh, Sheila was saying. You know, we we utilized different proprietary databases, and I I used I knew she used Merlin, so I used another one just for you know just to see. Well, maybe I'll get something off of a couple of others. I tried Skip Smasher, and a, I, we didn't know till later. I ran the P.O. box in Arizona City, and although it said your search re- returned no results, 
I got at the bottom of that database something saying uh, an Internet search showed up, a P.O. box in Arizona City to a Vic Houston owner of Arizona Workforce and uh, Labor Market Info kind of thing. And, I, you know, we didn't know that was him at the time. We had no idea he was using this other alias. So, uh, anyway, we got a little lucky through some databases that the, um, got a different address for the post office box. And at that point, since it was in Arizona City and fairly close to, I knew my colleague, Pat Cody, who'd been a sheriff in the area, and he, he knew the area around Arizona City quite well. He lived nearby in Casa Grande. I called him and asked if he would step in and help us um, identify uh, the person living at that address to see if that might be Frank Dryman, a.k.a. Valentine. Um, and then I think we also had information from Sh- Sheila, ultimately, about um, some tattoos that were unique to this man. And from there, I think I just hand it over to Pat Cody. Patrick, you're on. Okay. Uh, it, it's really nice, uh, you know, being on the air and uh, talking about this and I really feel good that we were uh, able to uh, help uh, Clem out and find the information. The, the information I got from uh, Patty was uh, very helpful. She provided me uh, with the address of uh, 16206 uh, South Desert Park Drive and that post office box number in Arizona City. And there was some, uh, and I had the date of birth, and I, I uh, used a, a different database, and I ran... Uh, Frank Dryman, it came back to uh, North Carolina. I said, well, and there was no other information uh, that was associated with that name. I said, well, that's, that can't be right. Maybe at one point he was in North Carolina, but uh, so I searched further, and what I did, uh, the method to my madness was that I just ran uh, the address. I just typed in 16206 South Desert Park Drive, Arizona City, and what came back was uh, Victor Houston. And as I scrolled down uh, to get the information from that database, I found an alias, uh, Frank Valentine. And I thought it looked pretty good. And, and now, uh, he, then I... Let me uh, ask you. He had, as far as you knew, you'd, he had never used that Victor Houston name no. that was in the file. Uh, no. And okay. uh, in the database that uh, he, his uh, business was, uh, he was a sign painter. Okay. Okay, so, uh, and I knew that he was probably in in uh, Arizona City, and I wanted to obtain further information before I went over there to ask him some questions. Uh, so uh, what I did is I ran uh, Victor Houston's information through the Motor Vehicle Department in the state of Arizona, and I came back with a date of birth of uh, 06, Zero six. Well, let me uh, take that back. Uh, Victor Houston was zero six zero six nineteen thirty one, and uh, Frank Valentine's date of birth was zero six zero four thirty one. Difference of two days, and uh, I said, "Well, you know, with the alias in the database, I said this is too much of a coincidence." So I asked. Uh, Patty, if, if, uh, if we could get a picture. And I went down to our local motor vehicle department uh, where I had obtained pictures before, and they wouldn't release a picture uh, to me for some reason. 
And uh, so I I got in touch with Patty again and asked her if she could get a picture because I'd like to know who I was dealing with. And and she said, did send the uh, photo to me. Uh, and another piece of information that I received uh, from Patty is that uh, there was uh, tattoos on the back of his fingers spelling the word love, L-O-V-E, on, uh, on each hand. I said, okay, so I had enough information. I knew what he looked like, and, and now all I had to do was drive down to Arizona City uh, to ask him some questions. And I did, on a Saturday afternoon, uh, I drove uh, to Arizona City, and uh, Arizona City is about 12 to 15 miles uh, east of uh, Casa Grande. Casa Grande is between uh, Phoenix and Tucson. And that's where you live? Uh, I live in Casa Grande, yeah. Okay. So it was, uh, so uh, Pat, uh, Patty called me because it was uh, more convenient for me to drive to Arizona City to, to check it out. And uh, who would have thought? Uh, I could have gone there and and uh, would have been a different person. But uh, I uh, I drove, uh, I found I found his property in... It was not like a regular uh, property. Uh, he he had the, right outside was a sign said a wedding chapel, and another sign below that, uh, Notre Republic. And I said, well, well, this is interesting. So I I continued driving on the property. Yep, probably uh, at least uh, an acre, maybe an acre and a half of uh, property. Good, pretty good sized piece of property there. And in uh, looking around, uh, there were signs for Notre Republic. And uh, there's like a, a trying to describe the area for you. It's a, like a little shed uh, selling uh, merchandise. There's a sign for, uh, again, Notre Republic. And, uh, and then I came upon a gate. And uh, it said, Patrick, uh, can I get, excuse me, can I get you to hold that? Uh, mercantile. We're going to go on a break Notre here. Republic. And then he had hours Patrick? of operation. I'm sorry? We need to go on a break here. Can you hold that for just a second? I'll hold it. Okay. More real stories from real investigators coming up. And for anyone that wants to ask questions, we're going to be having a call-in session soon, 1-866-472-5788. We'll be back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. 
Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. Opinion. Can you hear me? Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm here with Dr. Clem Pellett, Sheila Clopper, private investigator from San Jose, California, Patricia Shaughnessy, and Patrick Cody, both private investigators from Arizona. We're just talking to Patrick Cody about the process that he went through to locate Frank Dryman. Patrick, can you pick it up from there? Oh, sure. Uh, Let me just clarify one thing uh, regarding the uh, picture of uh, Vic Houston. Uh, I... Uh, legally, we can obtain uh, pictures, and for a long time, we weren't be able to. We weren't able to get a picture from the motor vehicle branch, only at the main office in in Phoenix. Uh, so there were some uh, mixed signals. Went over to the Casa Grande office to get the picture, and they said that I couldn't get it. So uh, I knew that wasn't correct. So uh, while I was straightening out that policy, I called uh, Patsy, where I was able to get the picture because uh, I wanted to know who. Uh, who I was going to uh, talk to. Uh, but anyway, getting back to uh, uh, where I was at uh, Victor Houston's property, there's a uh, large-type uh, gate uh, that's on his property, and in the distance there's a, a couple trailers. And I didn't see any vehicles there. And when I was looking around, uh, even though there was a sign set at uh, open every day, uh, I didn't see anyone. And I was looking at the uh, phone numbers, and I was uh, in the process of writing them down when I saw an individual in a golf cart uh, drive up to the gate. He was on the one side, and I was on the other. Hmm. And uh, I, I started uh, talking to him, uh, you know, and asking. At first, I, I showed my uh, credentials. Uh, I let him know that I was a private investigator, and, and uh, he was a little surprised. He asked me what I wanted. I said, I was, uh, I was uh, looking for 
a uh, Frank Valentine, and I wanted to know if he was here. I didn't want to give away that I was really looking for uh, you know, Victor Houston. Okay. Or Frank Dryman, rather. Or Frank Dryman. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, Frank Dryman. Uh, so I didn't want to give that away, and he says, well, why do you want to know? I said, well, I got a call from a PI from Phoenix and asked me to stop by to see if there was a uh, Frank Valentine living at the address. And he says... Uh, so you were just that straightforward. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, because, yeah, that's how, that's how I uh, pitched it. Okay. Okay. His and heart must have been, been beating fast. Because what I really wanted to look at was his hands while I was talking to him. Uh, and uh, that, one, that way uh, I would have known whether he was our guy or not. Uh, so uh, we started talking about, uh, you know, what he did for work. And he says that he has trouble seeing, which, which was true, because he used a magnifying glass to take a look at my PI license. And I gave him a business card. So uh, he said that he worked for the uh, sheriff's department for 20 years. I says, oh, well, that's, that was interesting. Uh, uh, and then he quickly changed it while I was talking to him to volunteer work. And I said, what type of volunteer work did you do? And he uh, said that he worked uh, with uh, search and rescue, and he was involved in the triad program. And uh, he started dropping names on me, uh, former, uh, well, actually retired sheriff, uh, Frank Reyes. He said that he personally knows. And uh, another sheriff that he gave me his name, I said I know him too. And I told him that I was a police chief in Florence, Arizona, uh, for, uh, for two years, and, and I knew Frank uh, Reyes very well. And uh, we started the Triad program in Florence. And what is Triad? Uh, it's a uh, it's a program for senior citizens. It's uh, law enforcement senior citizens working together to reduce crime in the area. I see. Uh, so, so uh, he said that he was involved in that, and then and then he told me that he's a notary public and that uh, he's licensed to marry people. And then while I was uh, talking to him, I uh, I had a really good look at the back of his hands, and on the back of his fingers had uh, star tattoos. And they were uh, old and faded. And on his right hand, he had, on the back of his hand, he had another tattoo, and that was uh, apparently uh, covered over. And it, it appeared to me that, that the uh, star's tattoos were covering up the, uh, the letters. Uh, I... I deduced it from that, uh, from from the uh, dates of birth uh, that I had, uh, different by uh, two days, and actually the social security number was different by uh, two digits. It was very, very close. So uh, I put all the information together, and then as I'm talking to this guy, I realize that he's our guy. It's him. It's him. And and he was talking. He says, uh, you know, I was he was showing me. Uh, the work that he did as a notary public and that he had notarized six documents and earned uh, $12 a, a Saturday morning. I said, well, that's great. I see that you you uh, keep busy. He says, would you like to uh, look? You're more than welcome to come out to my property and look around for uh, Valentine. I said, well, no, that, that's all right. And he asked me again a little later on in the conversation, and I'm thinking, I said, well, why does he want me to look around his property in the back of my mind? So I said, no, you know, I'll tell you what. I said, uh, I have all the information I need. I really appreciate your cooperation. And, and then I just call up the uh, PI in Phoenix, say that Frank Valentine's not here. 
And he thanked me, and I said, well, have a nice day. So I got in my vehicle, and as soon as I got a cell phone signal, I called Patty, and I said, Patty, we got our guy. That's him. I'm positive, 99.9% sure. And it had been 38 years. Yeah. Correct. And uh, one giveaway was that the uh, I, I work with, I do a lot of defense work, and a lot of my clients are in jail. And, uh, and some of them been prisoned before, and they have uh, tattoos. And and uh, in my 30-year uh, experience, I've seen a lot of tattoos, prison tattoos, and these were definitely prison tattoos. So you, so what you, what did you do then? Did you call? The I called Department? Patty and I told her, and she says, uh-huh. "Really?" And was, she was surprised. She says, I was ecstatic. Uh, let me give you the number. What did you say, you Patty? Have to, you have to call Sheila. And I, I was just ecstatic. Yeah, I couldn't wait to call Sheila. <laughs> and Sheila's yeah, had and, a, uh, I called uh, Sheila. Yeah, and I asked Pat. Well, Pat, you should just report what you found to Sheila directly. Sheila's at a a major uh, IntelliNet conference. And so um, I called her first and then asked Pat to call and give her the details so that our client could be contacted. Now, IntelNet is an international association of, license, of, of private investigators. Right. Okay. You know, what was even more eerie is that after, uh, after uh, Victor Houston, they also call him the Pink Panther in, in uh, Arizona City because he uh, is a sign painter. So uh, he's known by a lot of people. A lot of people had their documents notarized by him. Uh, a lot of their relatives were married there. Uh, so what was uh, very eerie to me, and I, and I, I thought uh, to myself later when the deputy sheriffs picked him up uh, to uh, talk to him, they brought him down to the substation. Uh, he was carrying a handgun. Down to the substation? Uh, they, uh, they frisked him before they put him in the car. And he had a gun on him. And I was thinking, I said, well, I wonder what would have happened if I went on his property and uh, started looking around for Valentine, and he shot me in the back of the head and uh, put, uh, buried me under a pile of rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was thinking, I said, well, golly, I, I think uh, I wonder what would have happened. And something told me not to go onto his property to look around. Uh, you know, that sixth sense. It's all that law enforcement training in your background. Exactly. <laughs> well, we have a caller that uh, just called in with a question. How do you convince reluctant witnesses to open up um, like you did? How did you, how did you get him to open up? Yeah, it's just a matter of uh, talking to him. Uh, I, all I wanted to do was see his, uh, the back of his hand. So I engaged him in a conversation uh, to uh, relax him and and then he was still thinking about that guy, Valentine, and what do you want him for? Uh, well, you, you're more than welcome to look around. Uh, but uh, as I got him to relax and started uh, uh, talking about uh, his experiences in search and rescue and a triad program, knowing the uh, similar people that I know, and I told him that I was a former police chief in Florence, and that kind of caught him by surprise. And I said, I used to work with senior citizens in uh, Florence, too, all the time. So uh, okay. we need to take a break, a real quick break here, uh, Patrick. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, hang with us, listeners. More real stories from real investigators. News. 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 Opinion. 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 Opinion
your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basili, radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Yes, we're here with Dr. Clem Pellet and Patrick Cody from Arizona, investigator, Patricia Shaughnessy from Arizona, and Sheila Klopper from California, San Jose, California, all private investigators. Uh, Patrick, you were telling us um, how you contacted the Sheriff's Department. I think it was the Sheriff's Department. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, actually, it was uh, done through the uh, parole board uh, from Montana. They contacted oh, the, the Sheriff's Department okay. when they sent the deputies over to... Uh, to talk to 
And then you contacted Pat Shaughnessy to let her know. Yes. And then Pat, you contacted Sheila to let her know. Is that correct? Right. And then the Pat and Sheila, you know, like Sheila uh, did get a report from Pat in writing, and then you take it from there. And then Sheila, Sheila, yeah, I got, I tried to talk to Pat, um, Cody, and asked him to put it into uh, a written report email. And then I forwarded the email to uh, Emily Andrews, who was the attorney had, that had hired me, and that and recommended to her that she contact the Mon- Montana Parole Board and let them see the, the uh, report that Patrick had submitted. And that's what happened. Okay, Dr. Clem, take it from there. Well, that's a uh, uh, okay. This was on a Saturday. It was a Saturday evening that Emily had forwarded uh, uh, Pat's uh, report. And, of course, uh, I'm sitting alone on Saturday evening uh, just uh, uh, at my computer, and across the email comes uh, that uh, Victor Houston and Frank Valentine are one and the same. And it just struck my heart, just went to my feet. I just thought, my God, what the hell just happened? And so, anyway, uh, then Emily and I didn't know what to do. It was Saturday night, and we tried to contact the Montana uh, people, but they, they weren't available so then we waited and the first thing uh, Monday morning then uh, both Emily and myself contacted the Montana Parole Board and then that's right then they then they did pick them up or pick him up and uh, there was a series of emails that said gee you know he's not talking uh, do you have any more information other than tattoos so on and so forth and then about a half hour later just in big letters it said he's confessed and and I was at my office in between patients, and uh, I just I just dumbfounded. I just didn't even know what to think. I don't I don't have a vocabulary that covers my emotions at that point. And how long was this after the Saturday that uh, Patrick was at identified him? Days. Yeah. See, so he did it Saturday uh, afternoon. Then there was Sunday. Then Monday there was some legal wranglings between warrants and this and that, and nothing happened. And then Tuesday they picked him up. That's incredibly fast. Work. Oh, it uh, yeah, it was just something else. So, uh, but then um, I started getting phone calls from the media. It was uh, you know the next day, the Wednesday was just crazy. But one of the phone calls I got was from uh, one of my long lost relatives, and we were. It was a very emotional phone call, and uh, three weeks later. We had a a family uh, meeting. You know, I'd never met these people in my whole 57 years, and my family and them, and we all got together. And it, uh, all I can say is, uh, I don't know if you've ever walked into a room with uh, 25 or 30 people that are all crying, wanting to come over and hug you. So it was quite a quite a scene. Uh, Then we all decided that we were going to go to the parole hearing, which happened at the end of May. I think believe that day was May 28th. That's right, Uh, May 28th. And um, it was totally up to the board. It, my my feeling was I, I was just trying to put together a complete and accurate story. Catching him happened to be just part of the story. I never was really out to find him and, and wreak vengeance. That wasn't my point. So, uh, I, you know, I just, whatever the Montana Parole Board decided to do is what they decided to do. I would I would have been happy on either side of it. And they decided to have him serve the remainder of his uh, parole. He had five more years to go on parole when he absconded. And so he's going to stay another five years and then come back up for parole uh, in five years. All right. So you actually 
were they were there at the hearing? Oh yeah, very emotional. Uh, very emotional. His daughter was beside her, beside herself and uh, had to be carried from the from the room. Um, and it um, um, it's a lot of mixed emotions. Uh, it's uh, uh, been it's been quite a story. It's been quite a ride. I will have to say. But in the end. I have a family now, which I didn't have, and thank goodness for the private investigators. I mean, they had the information. They knew. I, I had dead ends many times just on my own, and without private investigators, none of this would have happened. I'd, I'd still be without a, an extended family, so I'm, I'm most grateful for it, most grateful. And Frank Dryman today is 77 years old. Is that correct? He's 70. I think he just turned 79. Okay. Um, uh, so he'll be 83, I believe it is. So maybe it is just 78. But um, in fact, his birthday or whichever birthday you want to pick is coming up in June. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, right. Next June. Uh, so uh, anyway, yeah, he'll he'll be coming up uh, uh, for parole. And he had a recent. I guess the one thing that makes it a little hard for me to, or a little challenging, I should say, to turn the other cheek, is that he had a recent AP uh, interview, jailhouse interview in which, among other statements, uh, he just said, gee, I don't even remember the victim's name. And it kind of where I was kind of hoping uh, for a little remorse, a little uh, anything, and it just wasn't there. Just wasn't there. Well, that's disappointing. Yeah, yeah it was. It is disappointing, but uh, nonetheless, um, uh, you, you know, you carry on, and, and uh, that's just the way it is. I would add to that, this is Sheila Klopper, that um, also at the parole hearing was uh, Frank Griman's daughter. And I think, uh, remember, it was Dr. Clem's grandfather who was murdered. And, um, Dr. Clem, you might want to say what uh, the daughter's closing remark was. Well, yeah, she was pleading. Remember, she's Kathy Houston, and and supposedly she didn't know anything about Frank Dryman or Frank Valentine. She was always knew as, uh, only knew him as Victor Houston. And so uh, she was, this would be a huge surprise to her, and she just said, why why put this man in jail? You're going to take away my daughter's uh, grandfather. Well, that didn't go over real well with the Pellet family uh, because... Guess who took away my Your grandfather? That's right. And uh, so, as I say, it was a very emotional, a very emotional uh, parole hearing. And, and uh, for someone who's never been around any of this legal um, uh, crime type thing, you know, walking into a prison is quite intimidating. I might add, that's where the parole hearing was. I'm sure uh, but it was uh, we were greeted very nicely and treated very well. But um, so we're I'm just very grateful for the way things have turned out. And um, uh, who knows? I you know um, who knows was uh, was looking over this because this could have been derailed at several points, and it's just a whole series of serendipitous events that uh, led to where we are. Well, we're up against the hour, folks. Uh, I just want to thank our guests. Uh, Dr. Pellet from Washington, an oral surgeon, Sheila Clopper, Patricia Shaughnessy, and Patrick Cote. I'd also like to thank the folks from voiceamerica.com, along with my good friends Tamara Thompson of PI Newslink and Julia Randall, who've been assisting me behind the scenes to launch this show. And it's important to mention also Bruce Brownyard of the Brownyard Group Insurance Providers for his support. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you all. Come back next week, the same time, 9 a.m., 
on Thursday morning, uh, July 8th, for our next show, which will be called Losing It at Work, Preventing Violence in the Workplace. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.